it rubs the lotion on its skin or else it gets the hose again. Hi everyone, I'm Regan. And this is Jeff. And this is Man and Femme Criterion Commentaries. A cinematic... <laughs> through the Criterion Collection. A cinematic... <laughs> A cinematic journey through the Criterion Collection. Today we're talking about spine number 13, Silence of the Lambs. By Jonathan Demme in 1991. Yep. <laughs> That's all you have to say? No. Because I have a lot to say about this movie. Well, there's a lot to say about this movie. First off, I do want to say that Jeff and I watched this movie about five years ago. And at the time we thought that it was really insanely dated. We thought it looked really dated visually. Mm-hmm. And even story-wise. Yep. But coming back to it again, I completely, completely changed my tone of thought on that. No, it's not. I don't know what we were I thinking. I don't, maybe, I don't know why we thought it was so dated. We had been watching a ton of horror movies. That was the year that we decided, like October, we were going to watch a bunch of horror movies, and then we watched this one in the mix, so I don't know if it was because of that. Maybe. Maybe it just didn't seem... I don't know. I don't know, but uh, like, and I was also dreading watching this after watching Hannibal on TV because... Uh. Mads Mikkelsen as Hannibal is so perfect that I couldn't see Anthony Hopkins in it again without seeming like Anthony Hopkins was a little campy, but that wasn't really the case either. Mm. I mean, there was times where he came off a little campy, but he also came off as really, really creepy. Yeah, but I was surprised at like the limited amount that he's actually in the movie. It's kind of the same with, what did I read? The Red Dragon. He's, he's like, he hovers over everything, but he's only really in a handful of scenes, like, mm-hmm. in, even in the book. Yeah, I will say, if you haven't read Silence of the Lambs, it's, an, it's a really good book. Unless you've read Red Dragon, and then Silence of the Lambs is really similar to Red Dragon. I still so want to read it. Yeah, no, I know, but, like, I read Silence of the Lambs first, and then Jeff read Red Dragon first, and so... I can't get through Red Dragon because it's too similar to Silence of the Lambs, and he can't get through Silence of the Lambs because it's too similar to Red Dragon. But anyway, it's a good book. I I highly recommend it. It kind of gets into some of the terror a little bit more, or the psychological drama even more, which the movie still addresses. But anyway, well, let's start from the beginning of the movie. I really liked the fact that you learn about the character through visuals and through conversations. So here, like, we're introduced to Clary Starling as she's doing her training in Quantico, and she walks through, like, the hallway. You see that she's in the Behavioral Sciences FBI Academy. She's going in to talk to Mr. Crawford. Like, the whole conversation that they're having together really sets the the tone for who she is and kind of who he is without hitting you over the head with it. And it's just subtle enough that you know exactly what's going on. I mean, some of it is, you know, when they, like, show the FBI sign, it is a little bit campy and corny. But at the same time, I don't know. I thought it was a nice way of introducing the characters. Well, they have, like, a really weird teacher-student relationship that... At first, you think he's just giving her a leg up before you realize that he's just kind of using her. Yeah. Oh, he's totally using her. 
which is interesting. And she doesn't really seem to get it at first. I think she thinks that she's been chosen because she's smart and hard, top of her class, and, and yeah. But really, he's manipulating her to manipulate Hannibal. Right. And and it's kind of crazy how she's just kind of thrown right in there. When when she goes to the prison to to talk to him, I mean, it's this whole crazy ordeal of like, this is what you can do, and this is what you can't do, and then she descends like into the bowels of this prison. Mm-hmm. Which, in a way, is reflected later in the movie when she descends into the basement of that guy's house when he has the senator's daughter in it. But uh, we'll talk about that later. Yeah, and since you mentioned um, her going down to visit Dr. Lecter for the first time, I mean, there are really cool visuals in that movie, and one of my favorites is actually like when she's being briefed on what to do and what she can't do. And just the lighting in that scene, like they've been walking through the prison, walking through all the corridors, and then they come down to that point and they stop right before the door. It's like red. And there's that like red light from just above the door that's like reflecting onto them. And that's just, it's really cool. And I didn't, like that going back to us remembering this movie, like I didn't remember how stunning this movie actually is. And the cinematographer is like a big deal in this. The. His name is Tak Fujimoto, and when I listened to the commentary, the director's like, oh, that red light, when they stop to talk about, and he shows her the photos that they don't show us about what he'd done to a nurse's face, when right. he's like, he's the one who came up with the red light to make it terrifying, even though you don't see what. Right. And this um, this movie really plays on that a lot, which makes it even scarier. Like, the fact that you don't see a lot of what has happened. Like, you don't see a lot of the horrors. And then you also, you're learning about the killer through Dr. Lecter and through Clary Starling. I just feel like that makes it even scarier because it's almost like an urban legend or like a a tale that has been passed down in a way because you're not physically... You're not seeing the gruesomeness, so it's, it makes it scarier. It's like a puzzle that you have to figure out at the same time as Clarice does, because Hannibal right. talks in these riddles, and it's really up to Clarice to like figure out what these riddles mean, and the key to it all is if she can figure out the riddles that Hannibal tells her, she'll be able to save the girl in the end. Right. And so you, she's on like a quest, right? basically. And you don't see, I mean, we do see, is it Jamie Gum or James Gum? James Gum or Jamie Gum, something like that. We do see him a little bit throughout the movie, but it's not like, I guess I think, think of something like Criminal Minds, where Criminal Minds, you're seeing the killer, like, from the beginning of the show. This is Regan's favorite show. (laughs) No, Don't tell my sister that. She loves that show. No, I don't mind Criminal Minds, but every single episode is like, okay, at at minute number two, this has to happen, and then at minute 26... We never really see him do anything horrible other than knock that lady out when he convinces her to help him... With the couch. With the couch, but we don't see him kill anybody. We We see him sewing skin... Right. At his sewing machine, but we don't see anything that led him to that point. Yeah. So we don't see a ton that's going on with the killer. So then you don't really know him. 
It's left so up it's to your scary. imagination. Yeah, and that's what makes it scarier. To fill in those blanks. Yeah. Going back to the couch scene, that is, like, one of my favorite all-time, hands-down, favorite, like, music, movie Tom connections. Petty. Yeah, the American Girl. Like, I think of... Oh, is it because she's chubby? No. Oh. No. Like, there are just those songs that just stay with you. Like, I think of David Lynch's Blue Velvet, you know, with Roy Orbison and the Sandman. I mean, like, there are those songs. Yeah. And this is one of those songs, and it will forever remind me of this scene in this movie. Just had to mention that. The one thing that I thought was really interesting that we don't really see or haven't seen a lot of up until this point, and maybe even now we still don't see a lot of it, is that it really was a hero's quest, but with a female lead. Like, she's completely in control of her own destiny. She's kind of left on her own. She has to figure this out herself. If she doesn't figure it out... I don't think anybody else at the FBI is going to. But at the same time, she's kind of treated like... She's treated differently. She's a woman in a man's world. And even when they find that body and she's brought into whatever southern state that is, the cops that are there treat her like she's too delicate to be able to listen in on this stuff and it's not really her place to to, to be a part of this. She's treated differently by everybody and she basically has to kick all those cops out of that mortuary so that they can look at the body right? and kind of get their respect by being a hard ass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that completely. And having been a woman in a man's world, that kind of stuff still happens today. I mean, it's, it's nuts, but I digress. I won't get into all that. I did think it was kind of fun that like Hannibal's this terrible person, but you kind of like him. Uh, like they make yeah. him likable at the same time, and like Claire Reese and he almost kind of have a friendship going. He definitely takes a shine to her. That's for sure. I mean, even though he digs into her mind in exchange for helping her with the case, right? It's still there's still like a a re- mutual respect almost. Sort of. I do agree to some point. Like she is just so inexperienced and. I feel like he f- likes her because he feels like he can manipulate her and he can mold her, which is kind of gross in a way. But, but I think he also appreciates her for the innocence he'll never know. Maybe. That he maybe never knew. Well, maybe she's what his victims were like. I don't know. I mean, they don't really delve into They don't go into that, but... Him so much, but... And now you're thinking about Hannibal, the TV show, to try to connect that, and you can't. Well, no. (laughs) I'm not going to talk about the Hannibal TV show. It's worth checking out, but I think it was fantastic, but... I did say, like, in the beginning about how the storytelling through the objects in the room, that kind of stuff was good. But there were also some shots that did just kind of hit you over the head with the knowledge of what was to come. That I feel like had been thrown in by the studio at the last minute um, to make sure everybody knew what was happening. Because there was actually a lot in this movie. There were a lot of twists and turns in the, in the story. There was a lot of minute details that you could really miss upon a first view. For instance, the moths signifying change. How James Gum thinks he's a transsexual but is denied a sex change. 
Um, so basically, he sees his own skin as a cocoon that he can build a new skin and shed. Right. And become what he thinks he's supposed to be. Yeah. And also how that's kind of synonymous with Clarice's journey, how she is sort of... Hidden her accent. Right. to bury her past. Yep, to become this new person. But Hannibal kind of cracks that open. And he does talk about her past and the lambs that were screaming in the barn when she ran away from home because... Her adopted father, the rancher, killed the lambs, and she tried to save them, which sort of reminded me of, like, she was like a catcher-in-the-rye type scenario. I almost wonder more if Hannibal isn't putting on his psychologist hat because he just gets a kick out of being able to unwind people and figure them all out. Yeah. And I don't know if it's manipulation because he's a predator or if he's just so much more intelligent than everybody that he just, the only pleasure he can get is out of dissecting them. Because if he's locked in a cage and he can't actually cut up and dissect people in reality, all he has left is his wits to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's the most of what I had. I did want to talk about the scene where she finally stumbles onto James Gum because the way they cross-cut between Jack Crawford and the SWAT team at the wrong location and her at the right location and how when she rang the bell, it seemed like it was the place where the cops were and how they tricked you through editing and made it, like, really tense. Yeah. I I thought that was one of the best scenes I've ever seen for that kind of thing. Yeah, I agree. And the way, I mean, he's a creepy guy, and when she visits him, and he says that he bought the house from somebody else, she, I mean, before she even notices that he's got a moth flying around his living living room, he has this telling comment that really kind of tips her off. When she talks about looking for the missing senator's daughter, the thing he says is, oh yeah, she's a big fat girl, right? And kind of makes this kind of weird comment about her size that kind of like rings a bell in, in her head as like, well, that's that's kind of off. Yeah. And it isn't until the, the moth flies in that she's like, I mean, cause she's already kind of getting her gun ready, I think. And then when the moth startles her, it that's like it. Yeah. Yeah. I do think she stumbled into a lot of situations. Like, I don't feel like... She was as intelligent as they made her out to be. No, I think she was intuitive, and her intuition brought her to that place. And it wasn't because she was smart enough to have figured it out, but something in her back of her mind told her to go there. Yeah. Because she's trying to cover either cover her bases or something. something just seems like it's not right. I don't know, and when this whole thing goes on, we were talking about how they don't really show the bloody stuff. That whole scene where Hannibal makes the the agreement with the senator to help her find her daughter, and then he escapes, mm-hmm. and you know how he, he cuts that guy's face off and puts it on his own? Yeah. I mean, they don't show any of that. They show, we should see a, like him in a white shirt slashing and then blood splatter on him, and then next thing you know... He pulls this face off of his face. So it's all like left to your imagination how these things ended up. And then there's a really awesome Chris Isaac cameo where he's a SWAT team member. Yep. What a wicked game. 
Oh my god. <laughs> so bad. Oh. Did you terrible. Was there anything else that really jumped out at you that you wanted to talk about? I see so much influence from this movie into other movies and TV shows that... I see TV like, big time. Yeah, like, for instance, with Dexter, there was... In this, there's the hung body in the gym like an angel, and I just remember that season of Dexter. Ugh, yes. That was, like, a terrible season of Dexter, too. The worst. Um, in a string of worsts. Yeah, but, you know, like, that show, I feel like... They tried to sort of have Dexter be some type of a Hannibal Lecter-ish type character as well. And then, yes, in the X-Files, I, I feel like Scully's character was similar to Starling's, only like a more matured version even, of her. Even the way it looked. Oh yeah, totally, like the haircut, the shoulder well, pads. <laughs> No, I'm talking about the look of the show <laughs> and the look of the movie. Yeah. I mean, I, everybody knows shoulder pads are sexy and they're coming back. Well, that and... The, That's why football is so popular. Mm-hmm. That and they had, like, the two IT geeks. I wrote from the two Beatle geeks. The cross-eyed like the, guy uh, and the guy... They were both from, like, the Natural Science Museum or yeah, something. Yeah, so they were, like, looking at the moth or whatever. Was it a moth or a beetle that she brought to them? I'm just assuming it's a moth. But... It was a death's head moth. Yeah, so like, I feel like the X-Files kind of did that as well. So those are the the biggest things. And I do feel like Criminal Minds completely took this and just... Did this on steroids, but instead of having a long, drawn-out... But it's not even on steroids. Cause yeah, it is, because just... each episode is like a super extreme version of this movie. Yeah, I guess. So I think Criminal Minds did take this exact storyline and create, you know. Well, they they what they did is they grabbed like a super squad. They have the Jack Crawford character as the head, the older head guy of the whole group. Yeah. And it's as if he gathered around him a bunch of detectives, and then they do this every week. Right. Yeah. Criminal profiling. They took the idea of a criminal profiler like in Red Dragon, and what the FBI does, and then just turned it into this, like... Bastardization. Mass market thing where there's an, a crazy serial killer every week. Yeah, which makes you think that there are a ton of serial killers in this world, and there's probably not that many. One thing I wanted to talk about before we get too carried away... Too late. ...was when she saved the day... I mean, the whole time when he turned the lights up, well, first off, to save the senator's daughter, it was like she descended into a labyrinth in hell to, like, rescue. Oh, so you think she is, like, escaping from the Minotaur? I don't know. It's like she has to descend into hell to save that girl. Why are you getting all Dante on me? Dante, It's like the... it's not the same. What I'm saying Fine. is, no, like that basement was is like. Wait, like it was like hell. <laughs> and at any point, Jamie Gum could have killed her. He was toying with her with his night vision goggles and had a gun pulled on her, and she didn't know where he was. But it was once she heard the click of his revolver, revolver that she just started blasting away. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we said, but this is spine number thirteen. I said that at the beginning. I always say that. 
That's my life. Like as in Friday the 13th, scary. This was going to be our Halloween episode before we got sick. Is that your monkey impression? No. This is my monkey impression. For those of you at home who couldn't (laughs) see what she was doing, she actually pooped in her hand and threw it across the room. (laughs) Lies. Well, thanks for listening. Next up is... Next up... Don't do it. Follow us on Facebook. Check us out on Twitter. And please, for God's sake, rate us on iTunes. Only if you're going to rate us good. If you're going to rate us bad, don't even bother. We have something pretty special coming up. We have three samurai movies in a row. Pradao, Pradao, Pradao. Regan's pretty excited. Uh-huh. Samurai 1, Samurai 2, and Samurai 3. Is that the names of them? Yeah, but there's also, like, secondary names. Oh. Okay. Sweet! See you later.